This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Blank Podcast, a podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly and of course, as ever, it's Mr. Giles Paley-Phillips. Jim Daly, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, Why did you laugh at that bit? Did you because you, went, you said, Jim Daly, how are you? Well, <laughs> doing a bit of a Radio 4 song. Yeah, we both went radio. Oh, Jim Radio 4. <laughs> it was just a very James Bond, you saying my, saying my full name. It was James Bond, yeah, I don't know why I went James Bond. No, anyway, I like it. You should do it more often. Okay, I'll just conduct the whole pod in James Bond <laughs> James Bond um, how are you? I'm alright how are you? are you getting into 2019? have you have you stopped writing 2018 on stuff? no you haven't? no that takes me till about March okay, to do that okay, yeah. yeah have you got a New Year's resolution? Um, New Year's resolution well do you know what most years I put something positive up on social media about um, being nice and all that yeah. kind of stuff and I I think every year I do get nicer. I mean, I think in about five you years' couldn't time, get I'm going to be sort of saint, some sort of sainthood's going to be due. <laughs> saint Giles. <laughs> you can't there get nicer. There is a nicer. Saint Giles, actually. Oh, so what would you be then? The Saint, saint Giles is the patron saint of plebs. Um, <laughs> so, Seriously? Yeah, no, I'm not joking. That's real. That's so, great. Yeah, ple- ple- plebs and beggars. What would you be the patron saint of? Well, I'd be happy to be the patron you, saint yeah, of plebs and beggars. Plebs and beggars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> Sounds like a band. Plebs and beggars. Well, there must be a St. James, wasn't there? Yeah. There probably is. I don't we know what it is. Well, we'll if anyone out. knows... Let us know what St. Yeah, James tweet, is. The tweet us or um, email us and let us know. Yeah, at Blankpod. At Blankpod. Getting yeah. it in early this week. We are, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. And um, we've got a wonderful guest, an incredibly experienced actor. It's Mr. Jim Puddock. Jim Puddock. Who, who, uh, yeah. He's probably he's basically probably been in every... In every you've seen him in something. Yeah, and he's done yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah, probably like one of those people who say, "Oh, I know him." Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. And um, I've always been a big fan of Jim because I'm a massive fan of all the improvised comedies by Christopher Guest. Yeah, and that ensemble that he has. Yeah, uh, Mighty Wind, uh, Best in Show. Yeah, and all the uh, Waiting for Guffman, all those kind of movies. And Jim always appears in those films. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, he's a writer, he's a producer, yeah. he's an actor. He's, he's he works on so many things and he's always working always busy yeah. so it's amazing that he gave up some time to talk yeah, to yeah well us. he's not over here all the time he's off he lives in LA yeah. and he's you know he's over here sort of some some parts of the year so it was great to be able to nail him yeah. down to a date yeah so this is a really fascinating pod um, with some great stories in there some as well some fruity language some fruity language yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so I mean put this little, <laughs> little disclaimer out there there is some fruity language there's some fruity in language in this one but yeah. um, it's justified yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway let's dive straight in this is the wonderful Jim Piddock. I went to Medieval Times in Orange County with Chris Guest because we were, we were thinking about doing a film set oh, in one of those kind of awful places. 
and we both got so depressed. <laughs> we thought there's, 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 it's funny for about 10 minutes and then you just go, oh fuck, this is awful. Yeah. And you have the, the cardboard crowns that everyone wears. Yeah, yeah. And then they have jousting. Uh, can I move it out a tiny bit? Yeah, more? of course, yeah. of course, yeah. And then they have, I'm claustrophobic now. Uh, and they had jousting and all sorts of stuff. It was really depressing. And it, you know, you walk out into a hundred degree weather. It's like bad oh, Vega, yeah, Vegas yeah. medieval. Uh, Do you have lunch there then? Dinner. Oh, it's just like dinner. dinner. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a whole deal, and you you, you get a crown. And have you have you been down well, south yeah. much in the states? Been down south. Uh, Dallas, uh, Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, Florida. Did you yeah. Been to a um, dinner feud. A dinner feud. Yeah. No. Brandon, Brandon, I'm into America for our honeymoon. I didn't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> we've been over, and it's like sounds, um, sounds bad. It's like hillbilly panto, oh, and it's like these giant stages, and they all come out and they do like a two-hour oh, show. Yeah, and it's—I mean, it's actually—I mean, it's bizarre. It's actually very entertaining and actually really professional. At the end, and like, like everyone gets in monster trucks and drives home. Well, yes, <laughs> and also where we were, we, it was in Tennessee. It was in um, My phone off. Pigeon Falls, Tennessee, and next to where the, the the um, dinner feud was was randomly a giant replica of the life-size replica of the Titanic, which was a Titanic, <laughs> Titanic museum. Life-size, obviously in the middle of Tennessee. Yeah, brilliant. It's a completely <laughs> brilliant. It's it a really weird. Like Taking up a lot of space. The dinner feud was just like that's bizarre. It was all hillbilly jokes and stuff. But then they were, like the stage came out. It was filled with water, and they had dogs running and jumping in the water, people doing acrobats and stuff. Was the tablecloth like a confederate flag? <laughs> no, <laughs> but at the end, they did come out American flag and do all that. There's no confederate flag, thankfully, but it's weird. Wow. If it's still there, it's worth a visit. Just, if you're susceptible to slitting your wrist, don't go there. <laughs> um, Dickens World in Chatham. Oh, okay. Is fucking fantastic. Because the guy opened it was an American who thought, I've got this Dickens World, it's going to be huge. And he got this massive warehouse and this awful shop. I mean, Chatham is so depressing. Anyway. Yeah. And then on day one, he, he decided he was going to create the authentic feel in London. So he created the smell of London streets. Nice. <laughs> and people were vomiting, you know. And so they got... They <laughs> Just got, leave it there. They got rid of that. Don't and clear it up. They toned it down for one area. So by the time I got there, which was probably two years after it opened, it had basically boiled down to one guy giving a group of 20 people walking him around. And it, when we got there, he said, so he's just dressed in Dickens in, who here has read some Dickens, right? <laughs> and I sort of was just like, and then I realised halfway up, no one was raising their hand. So he just, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> what have you read? And I just said, ah, oh, and so he directed the whole fucking thing for me thereafter. <laughs> but they gave up on it after five minutes. We went into Sweeney Todd. And then we went, in, <laughs> and then we went into Jack the Ripper. Well, what happened to fucking Dickens? Yeah. yeah. And then he he said, "Well, now I'm going to take you to a classroom where Dickens castle. I'll be back in a minute. Have a good time." And he goes off, and he comes back in another costume <laughs> as the teacher. Ah, <laughs> oh, it was fucking awful. It's like a one-man show, basically. Was that? It's just a one-man show. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it. And yeah. then, but this woman... Did he, he did the cooking and stuff as well. But the weird thing is, this woman ran in at one point and said one thing to him. She was dressed in costume too and said, uh, something, uh, there's a, a storm ahead. Okay, oh, okay, there's going to be other characters. And then she left. Never saw her. <laughs> Never referenced. Or anyone else. He was just going, well, they can't be paying her for that. <laughs> or, unless there was actually in Chatham that day, a storm <laughs> was ahead. Exactly. She, was just she happened you. to be dressed yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Guys, <laughs> there's a hurricane coming in Chatham. And the, and the gift shop was brilliant, because you're going, okay, well, I have Dickens books and memorabilia. Three Dickens books. <laughs> and then all this shite, like pencils, sharpeners... Uh, they had keychains, you know those um, ba basketball shoe keychains. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them with Dickens World stamped on the bottom in a, t a cheap stamp. Really authentic. Fantastic. And God forbid, after going to Dickens World, you'd want to buy a Charles Dickens book. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. No, what are you talking about? No. I, I wonder if it's still there. It was only a couple of years ago, I went. Three or four years ago. Incredible and incredible. Well, Rand and I are always looking for days out and stuff, so yeah. maybe we should. Dickens World sounds <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. Anyway. Oh, man. Amazing. So, here we are. So, um, 
Thank you very much for coming to the pod. You're very welcome. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Mr. Jim Piddock. Are we on? We are on. Oh, was yeah. it all that yeah, other stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just yeah, like to start do... rolling and then see what I mean. Oh, good. So you got see some... what happens. Oh, me some... slagging off to <laughs> yeah. We were hoping they were going to sponsor the <laughs> podcast, but it's going to happen now. Might as well end now. I don't think I swore, did I? Or maybe, no. who cares? You didn't, no, you can swear but on But you can on this pod, It's not a child-friendly podcast. Well, it is child-friendly. It's a child-offensive podcast. How are you? Very good, thank you. Yeah, a little bit crazed but yeah in a good way or? yeah well just different way I just I bought a flat a week ago in Fulham so I'm going to spend more time here mm. and um, you know you get in it's always kind of stressful getting yeah. in anyway and yeah. then realise it was like five times as much work needed to be done than I thought yeah so I've spent you know the last week and a half chasing contractors and toilet seats and all the, flooring all the glamorous people. stuff I know yeah. I actually enjoy it's doing that I've done it a couple of times before because you um you split your time between here and the US, don't you? Yeah, I mean, and more so now. Uh, I'd come back a couple of times a year, maybe. I'd spend maybe four weeks of the year here. And now I think we're probably probably closer to four months. We'll see, next couple of years. We've got a, a, a couple of projects here, and I'm just enjoying spending more time here. Is your, is your heart here? It's a, it very well put, because I mm. actually, th- the other day, I thought, uh, my heart is still here after 38 years yeah. of being in America. I think I have an American soul in a funny way, mm-hmm. but my um, uh, and possibly American spirit. But uh, but but my heart is absolutely here. Because I was going to say, because you moved there quite quite a young age. Yeah, I was twenty four. Yeah. So now you know everyone's like, oh, yeah. twenty five. Yeah. Right. So twenty four. Yeah. 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 Bumbling around, not doing much. Well, I was sort of bumbling around. I'd done two years of repertory theatre, and then I was offered a job by the drama school I went to called the Drama Studio in Ealing, and they were opening up in Berkeley, and they said, look, we'd love you to come out and uh, direct a couple of shows for us. And I'd already directed in rep, believe it or not, and at the age of 24, I was offered the artistic directorship of Western Superman. (laughs) And I well, thought, I, I didn't know whether that was a good career move. Um, and I wasn't really that interested in directing at that point. So um, so I decided to go to, to the States for three months. And that three months became 38 years. Yeah. Doing the now. <laughs> so a lot must have happened in that three months then. Yes, it did. Um, it did. I, I had got the rights to a one-man show about a soccer goalkeeper, football, soccer, whatever. <laughs> translate <laughs> for our transatlantic yeah. audience. <laughs> um, and I was searching around in San Francisco for a theatre to do it and got turned down by everybody and their uncle. And then shortly before I was about to come back, this theatre called me 99-seat house. And it had quite a good reputation. been there a long while. And they said, look, our first play of the season's dropped out, how quickly can you get your one-man show together? And um, it was like an hour and 20 minutes, 45 minutes each half. Well, um, it's an hour and a half, actually. I was never very good, <laughs> like I was never very good at maths, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I got a director, and, and we put it on, and, and it, literally my life changed after that. I, the, the show uh, opened to a full house of 99 people on the opening night, because I knew enough people by then <laughs> yeah. who I directed or taught. And so it was full. The second night I had four people in the audience and um, and they were kind enough to give me a standing ovation, <laughs> which is really weird with four people. They four people can make a lot of noise. They didn't do the wave. Um, and, and then the reviews came out and the next day it was, it was, then it sold out for several months and was extended. And it actually changed my entire career. It sort of won awards and I was suddenly uh, doing the show all over America and um, uh, a woman bought the rights to do it in, 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 in Broadway, off-Broadway. And I flew to New York and thought, oh, it's great, I'll put it off-Broadway. And the day I arrived, she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm putting all my money into a musical instead. So I was in New York and I knew two, three people so yeah. staying on their floor. And I had a tape of the show and I get, got it to an agent and they, hired, they, they took me on and they sent me out on an audition. And um, my first two or three weeks in New York, and it was for George C. Scott, who was directing and starring in Present Laughter on Broadway. Wow. And I got the job. So I, within a month of being in New York, I was in a Broadway show. How Amazing. about that? George I mean, C. Scott as well. I mean, George C. Scott. Yeah, just incredible. And that, that cast was extraordinary. It was Nathan Lane, his first ever oh, show in New York. Wow. Kate Burton, Richard's daughter, Richard Burton, who mm. is still a lifelong friend. 
um, Christine Larty. Um, it was an incredible cast. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, I went to see Nathan Lane in um, uh, Angels of America. Yeah, is that right? yeah, yeah. Roy Cohn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he, he, so good. Perfect part for him. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's such a whirlwind. Yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary. Life. It was extraordinary. So, and then I did four Broadway shows back to back. Amazing. And I was in the first cast of Noises Off. Amazing. In, in Broadway. So yeah, that was really lucky. I mean, yeah, was really lucky. I, I was extremely entrepreneurial. In, in the sense in those days, and sort of still am, in that, you know, I really went around knocking on doors cold yeah. and saying, you know, and, and it, it's quite an undertaking doing a one-man show. It was very, very physical too. Mm. So I, I, I'll, I'll give myself a little credit, but that is still extraordinarily lucky. But you do have to, you have to give yourself, we on previous pods we talked about uh, giving yourself the wins. You know, when things are going well, and yeah. giving yourself the credit for, for doing well. Because yeah. obviously you know, I've got when it's not, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, when those things do happen, it's, you know, it's yeah. victory, isn't it? And I think if you put the, it's the, the old 10,000 hours, if you put the hours and the time and the dedication in, um, you get a bit of luck and you have an ounce of talent, mm. you know, you have a shot. Yeah. So was shot. goalkeeper your position then? Did you play? No, no, I, I was in those days a forward. Yeah. A free scoring forward. Oh. I was the Dougie Friedman of my generation. <laughs> Everyone wants to be that. Yeah, that's a very niche reference for a lot of our listeners. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a niche reference. Um, so, yeah, no, but, but, but the play was great. It was about a crazed loner who you know, was very mentally ill and playing a game on a Sunday morning and talking. If, to if, I, if I was doing the show, it'd be about being a substitute, I think. Yeah. Or it'd just be an hour and a half of me just on the sidelines, just watching the show, so, yeah. not being involved in it. But I mean, I guess, at, so at that time, going over doing a show about football slash soccer. Yeah. I mean, I guess it wasn't all about football, but like quite bold, you know. It, it, like, yeah, like it was definitely, again, it was a niche, th- yeah. you know, theatre is a niche thing anyway, but, but it was, a, what, what I found really encouraging and what sold me in a way on America was how welcoming they were to a different sort of culture, sporting culture. And, and football in those days was, there was the NSL had sort of almost gone under. So people knew what it was, but the play was a metaphor for something else. And because they didn't know anything about soccer, it actually worked better there than the show ever worked in this country because it didn't matter. People here, they either hated football or loved it. And in those days, football was not trendy. It was um, uh, pre-fever pitch. So football was not trendy. It was you were either a football person or you weren't. And there they had no prejudice. So they saw the play for what it was and they kind of found it educational in a sense to, to learn out you know, what, what, what football or soccer was. And I found that very encouraging that, that was, they were very open to that. So I'm just thinking if I'm going to do a play about a sport here, I need to pick a really niche one that no one knows about. Lacrosse or something. Yeah, I was going to say lacrosse, lacrosse, but people do know about yeah, lacrosse. Yeah, yeah. That's quite and, big or or they thing. don't want to know yeah, about yeah, lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> Gaelic football or something. Gaelic football? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, curling! There's a comedy in curling. Oh, there curling, has to be a yeah. comedy it's in curling. It's just a funny name. Yeah, it's a funny name. And, and the brooms and everything. It's so silly. Yeah, it's really stupid. I don't really know the origins. Of We've just lost all our curling listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, then we're going to be such a big draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what happened after that? You're in. You're in New York. Uh, I was you're in New York, Broadway. and I was there for uh, what is it, 1982 to 85. And then I, uh, I kind of got burnt out. I was, I'd literally done eight shows a week, almost solidly, for three years. Wow. And I was staying up in, the, I was in my 20s, and we would go out every night. And after the show, eat, and then go to bed maybe three or four o'clock, and up again. And, and, and I kind of got burnt out. And um, I was always interested in doing film and TV. And, and it wasn't happening by me being in New York, a few people kind of were picking up things, but for some reason it wasn't. I thought, I've got to go out to L.A. Uh, and a relationship I was in was ending, so uh, so I went out to L.A. cold, really. Um, I, I didn't extend my contract and noises off. The others all did. I, 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 and I went on to do a short stint in a, another play that George C. Scott directed. Um, and then I went out to L.A. and, and, and sort of hit the streets again, cold. Uh, and I found that, you know, I was like, oh, well, I could just say I was on Broadway for three years. <laughs> I had my name above the title on Broadway and I'll get a series. 
It wasn't quite like that. No. They were like Broadway. That's uh, downtown, isn't it? That's, you go turn left <laughs> yeah, at Main yeah, Street. Yeah. Um, but but eventually, you know, uh, after a short while, I did start getting some TV work, and that's when I started writing yeah. because I had a lot more time on my hands. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that segue into writing because was it that you? I mean, some people start writing because they want, they're trying to make work for themselves, uh, or was it just a case of it? Yeah, I mean, I I just like to work. And I kind of thought, yes, you could create something for yourself, but I, I, I really haven't been that type of writer. Uh, and I often write things because I want to write them, and my writing brain is doing it. And then at the end, I go, what can I... Oh, there's nothing for me. Or, or you know, or the, yeah. I can play the third guy at the bar <laughs> yeah. uh, who falls over and halfway through the scene and gets a cheap laugh. Um, so, no, I don't. And people have said, why don't you write yourself great vehicles? And... and I don't know why. It's a different part of my brain. And maybe I'm also practical enough to know that if I was like, if I had a bit more heat at that time as an actor, I'd go, oh, I can really, you know, they'll want to do this with me in it. Um, but but, but I, I don't know. I didn't really think in those terms. I do more now, but... What's your kind of writing process? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, it, it evolves, yeah, no. really. Uh, <laughs> I tend to be pretty, most writers do, they say four hours is a max, you know, that I know. And a lot start early, like 6 a.m., you know, I can't do that. I get up at 7, usually 7.30. And then I used to be, before internet days, very disciplined about <laughs> cup of That's tea. What a lot of people have said to you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, cup of tea, breakfast, and I start writing at 8, 8.30, and I'd go to 5 or 6, and I've always done that. Now, it's up at seven. Check Twitter. Check to check emails. Check them. Check them again, and then have another cup of ten. Check them again, and, <laughs> and then oh, well, that leads to that, and then oh, we must go check, and then I have to check the football mm-hmm. news, and 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 so around nine thirty or ten, <laughs> I finally start writing, um, and then I'll, I'll go as long as I need to. I mean, there, there have been days when I've done literally fourteen-hour writing days. Wow. Uh, when I'm really in something, yeah, I like to just get stuff on the page, and um, then mould it. And if it's crap, it's crap. Yeah. Um, and I'll sometimes write where I'll go back and I'll just keep rewriting the same first thirty pages of a script again and again until I feel comfortable with the first first act, and then move on. Um, it just depends. I, I don't have any real set method. Um, I'll sometimes do extensive outlines and other times I'll just dive in. I, I wrote a play recently and I had a, it was an idea I woke up in the middle of the night and this rarely happens. Woke up at 4am, wide awake, had this idea for a play, went downstairs, scribbled some notes on a pad, went to bed and the usual thing is you get up the next day and you read it and you go, what the fuck was I <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is utter shite. <laughs> it's like writing down a bad dream. Yeah. And I re- read it and I went, oh, this is, no, this is really... And then more ideas started to come and I scribbled a bit more and I started writing the play the next day wow. and thought, I'm going to write blind wherever this go- takes me. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a play, two weeks later I had a play. Amazing. Yeah. But that's the thing as writers, that you that, that frisson, that feeling of where, that electricity almost. Mm. I loved it. It was like yeah. improvising yeah. as an actor. Yeah. I hadn't done that for a long time. I usually am pretty well laid out in structure where I'm going and especially if you're adapting something you've already got the material yeah, yeah. Yeah. so you know where it's going so that was fun that was yeah. fun yeah. so I'm obviously the, the podcast about blank moments yeah. um, I've never had any thank you very much <laughs> it's been great, it's been great. It's been great. It's been great. we'll see you next week I feel very sorry for you all who have those blank moments <laughs> but uh, you're obviously saying you, you, know, you do 14 hours straight which is incredible amount of writing well yeah, I thought about this because I, I saw the kind of tenor of your show and I thought I, this, I'm a slight fraud here because I I don't know if I've ever suffered from traditional writer's block um, I've had times when I've gone I don't know what I want to write next mm-hmm. and I've had this idea or that idea and gone through them and gone no they're, no, they're not very interesting or I've had the crisis of mm, this is never going to sell so I'm not going to do that mm-hmm. it's going to be great and be fun but it's never going to sell but I haven't had too many days where I don't know where what to do next. I don't know where this is going. Because, as I say, I generally know the end before I know the beginning. Um, 
I guess what I do have is I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know how to fix this problem. And then you have to sort of sort of be a problem solver and, and, and kind of take time out and take time, time away from it. But I, 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 don't, I don't quite know what writer's block is because I will write anything down if it's shit, mediocre, or excellent. I don't care. Mm-hmm. As long as I've got the clay there to then work sure. with later. And um, and often you will read something through again, and a week later, and go, "This is just I've got to really rework this, you yeah, know, yeah. severely." But, yeah, but you might read it again, and then something in it takes you down a different road. Correct, yeah. correct. But but that blank thing, um, it's more about I don't know what I want to write now because I finished that, I wrote that story, and now and I had that at the end of March this year, I'd written two TV pilots two films and a play in the previous eight months which is a lot and I had done very little acting so I was kind of itching to get out of the house and I said at the end of March I, I told my partner Annie I said look I, that's I'm not going to write now till probably September October uh, because I just want to spend the summer reading and recharging and thinking about things and it, <coughs> as it happened I had a few rewriting things I had to do during that summer which were very easy. Again, it's all there, so it was just me just tweaking things. And I've I've just now ready to uh, to, to to start back in earnest. Maybe that's that's a good way of doing it. Is giving yourself that time because mm. I think yeah it's okay to not have ideas some days. Like it's okay to to be a bit blank on on what to do next. Yeah. And not beat yourself up about it. Like yeah. give yourself a bit of time to recover. Absolutely, I think so. And, and you need to input from life or from reading or from whatever just to get ideas, you know, and they come from anywhere. Mm. Newspaper stories, mm. books, um, things you see. Anything can trigger. But you've got you to gotta take those sort of uh, writing vacations to have that come to you because otherwise you are just manufacturing. Mm. I find a lot of people, you know, in Hollywood particularly, which are sort of writers for hire that go on staff, and they, they, it becomes just churning out and I can't I've never been able to do that if I'm not kind of interested in the idea um, I can't do it I, I recently uh, nearly my agents threw up their hands uh, at CAA because they, they wanted me to go on the writing staff of a successful show and it was in its probably last couple of years and um, they said they really want you to go on the staff and run the, you know, be a producer and I just, I, I said, I, I've seen the show and I know people in it and I don't like it. I never have. Mm. And I, it's quite popular. It's won quite a few awards and I watched it about 10 episodes just to make sure I wasn't crazy. And I went, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't write for that show. Mm. And I couldn't, good people in it, really good people. Yeah. And I can't do it. I, I think for me, because I was primarily an actor, unless the writing's fun, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But you can tell, can't you, when someone's written something, whether they have their heart's been in it. By the numbers. Or they have found it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Even while watching it, I'm just watching something. But there will be people, obviously, out there, creative jobs. Maybe their hearts aren't in it, you know, but they need to do that job and they need to get through it. Pay the bills or whatever. Yeah, be, yeah. and that, that is difficult, isn't it? When you do kind of have deadlines well, or you've done something to work on. It's slow destroying, can't it? Yeah, but also you, get, you also get typecast as a writer, in, certainly in Hollywood, as you do as an actor. And I know people that write in such a small avenue of, of kind of interest that's like, oh, wow, I like to do a thriller and then I like to do a drama and then I like to do a romantic thing and then a, a broad comedy. I don't. I hate to be pigeonholed. Yeah. And that you know, obviously you can make tons more money by being pigeonholed and becoming known for the guy who punches up action movies or the guy who mm. punches up comedies or whatever I just have had no interest in doing that mm. at all it just it doesn't that to me is being in a factory mm. so but would that be because the solo jobs would be well paid because they're needed they're yeah if you're good at arms. that you know I mean Carrie Fisher who is uh, not Carrie Fisher sorry um um so I'm having a senior moment now. You're having a blank, a blank moment. moment. A blank, a blank moment. There we go. <laughs> there no, you got me. You got, <laughs> you got, Elaine May, Mike Nichols, and Elaine, yeah. Mike, Elaine oh, May, uh, who was you know a fantastic comedian. She was a brilliant comic actress. She basically, after Mike Nichols went to direct, she started being a rewrite person, 
and she's written a few original things and she became you know known for that and it's incredibly lucrative it's you know 200 grand a week just to punch something up wow. um, and there's another writer called Randy I need to get into that. Randy <laughs> can, you up, can you punch up podcasts for that one? I know I probably do that there's another uh, lady who's very talented, Randy Mayhem Singer, or is it Singer Mayhem Singer, and she wrote Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, wow. And her only other credit is as joint credit as a film called Tooth Fairy, which I wrote the story for. Yeah. And that's her only other credit. But she never stops working, and she's all... That's what she does. She punches up comedy. She's really good at it. Mm. Um, and I think that... I mean, she has a range, but they're mostly family comedies. And yeah. she did a great job on Tooth Fairy. She yeah. came in and... You know, it's like a closer in baseball. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's the pitcher you bring into the ninth inning to close the game out. Yeah. And and and, and she will do that rewrite that gets the movie. And so she's literally going to scripts and rewriting them and just making the jokes better or making absolutely or, yeah, or, or, or yeah exactly yeah. polishing the characters and and making it just work completely work and yeah. be read be be camera ready. <laughs> and I just I, you know picked her because I know her a little bit and she did such a good job on the project we were working on but but that's a very specialist thing you know? yeah there's more specialists you are more people want you yeah, exactly exactly yeah. yeah moving on to the acting is that obviously the writings you're very passionate about mm-hmm. but the acting is that as equally a pa- passion yeah I mean the question I'm always asked is which do you prefer and I, mm. my stock answer is if someone held a gun to my head I'd say I've got to choose I'll be an actor because it's Fuck's sake, easier. Yeah, it'd be a weird way to get a part, though. Yeah, it? it'd be a very intense. What's that? Very, very intense audition, wouldn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would be. Uh, oh, I've done the job. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a Quentin Tarantino scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I. It's so much easier. You know, uh, theatre's different, but but film and TV, which is pretty much all I do now, just gotta show up really. Learn the lines, yeah, but you can sort of almost do that on the set because it's, yeah. you know, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's it's so much easier. Writing's hard work, you know, as you yeah. know, as you, know, yeah. as you yeah. both know. But then I guess when you're acting, you're doing someone else's work a lot of time. Yeah, sometimes my own, actually. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, yeah, you are. Um, so I, I, mean, I happen to love the balance of doing both, and I love being able to lock myself away and wear T-shirt and shorts, that, that's my stock uniform year round, you know, yeah. in LA, and and not leave the house unless I have to, uh, not see people for a while. So I do enjoy the balance. When you're acting, do you prefer doing your own work or someone else's? Um, I don't mind if I if if someone else's is good or better than mine which is a good shot it could be yeah, I'll do this <laughs> but it's a bit weird doing your own sometimes you know because you, you kind of want it I guess when you've written it, your own jokes do you really? well when you've written it you, you've got it in your head you want it to come out a certain way yeah and then the onus is on you if you're acting it as well to do that yeah I've done a f- I do a few things my current job and I write the scripts and then we're filming it and I'm like god there's this line is really wordy. I, think, well, I wrote this. Yeah. What an idiot! I wasn't thinking about Who me actually shit? acting it out later <laughs> it is. as I was writing it. So then there's more onus on you because you're in the whole process. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if something's well written, you know, it's so easy to go in and, and do. Um, and with your own stuff, you're always probably more critical. Yeah. Um, and, and, and more ten, ten, to rethink it as you as you're going. Have you had many blank moments on set? Um, plenty. <laughs> yeah, oh God. I mean, yeah, the million takes where you've done, I have no idea what I say next. <laughs> and you either wing it and stumble through, or, and they go, well, it was close to what we wrote, but I think we need to get it as written. Or you just go, uh, who put that light over there? <laughs> you know, it's a quick... You know, oh, right, sorry, it completely threw me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, or just you just go but you know I mean there are times when shooting at 4am and it's a 14 hour day and you've been asleep in your trailer for 3 hours or trying to sleep and you've got a scene and they drag you up and and you're like I literally don't even know what my name is (laughs) and and you so there are plenty of blank moments like that and do you mind having those moments on set are you the sort of person that doesn't mind going I've no idea what the line is I 
have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, so I hate it. If, it, if especially if I'm coming in and it's I'm the new boy on set. Um, by day two or three, uh, yeah, you know, it's like that's we don't, that, there's a reason we don't do it live. I think <laughs> yeah. I think you get an issue it's if you have gym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I generally am very. I I, I, I generally get through stuff. Um, there's. On, on my comedy reel, there's a, a little clip from this that when I did a five-year engagement uh, with Emily Blunt. It was my first day and my first scene, and we had a scene where I was playing her father, and it still makes me it makes me laugh more than anything I've ever done, in, you know, to be funny. <laughs> and we had the scene where we were eating in a hospital uh, c- cafe, and um, I'm eating this kind of a pastry. And for some reason, I'm talking about how I gave her mother, who I'm now separated from, um, gonorrhea. And uh, (laughs) it's a very difficult situation. She's like, oh, my God. And she's just so horrified. And then the director said, you know, why don't you try and tie in that pastry to to the... And it it had like this icing. It was also oozing. And so I sort of just improvised and it, it, as a matter of fact it, it looked a little bit like this because I was playing a guy from the north of England and we literally I don't know we, how many takes we ever did it, we, it, we got into the 20 to 30 takes wow. at least and it was my first scene uh, uh, but she couldn't get through it because she would just completely go and, and she was one of those people it happens when you sometimes meet actors you just look in their eye and you know we are fucked because <laughs> you're going to make me laugh and I'm going to make you laugh. Yeah. And does and everyone else? Does it start petering around? The it set does and t- until they get really bored with it and then they go, <laughs> "Fuck's sake, grow up!" But she and I were like two five-year-olds, and I adore Emily. I mean, she's uh, she's so wonderful, um, and we just immediately had that thing of you're going to make me laugh and I'm going to make you laugh, and we couldn't explain it. But there's a clip on my comedy reel of that, a bit of that, of um, and it still makes me laugh because just it's natural. We're both completely corpsing, as they say, or breaking up, as they say in America. <laughs> For our American audience, yeah. yeah. And I guess when you get, when you're on set on the first day, and you have that connection with someone, you know, well, this job's going to be a breeze. Yeah, that was a very, really fun experience because Jason Siegel was the other lead yeah, in that movie. Yeah, exactly. uh, and, and so the two of them were just so delightful. Yeah. And then Chris Pratt played uh, Jason's oh, yeah. best friend. Oh, of course, yes. And then Alison Brie played the girlfriend. Oh, so it was a lovely group of people. And my wife, well, ex-wife, was played by Jackie Weaver, the um, extraordinary Australian actress who has two Academy Award nominations. Yeah. Um, uh, that amazing gangster film uh, from... Animal Kingdom that she played the matriarch in um, and Jackie and I again hit it off immediately she's just so wonderfully crude and said the first day she said darling there's nothing you can say that can shock me <laughs> well that was Dame Edna wasn't it I just yeah. said Dame Edna uh, but yeah. she does sound a bit like Dame Edna and of course within a week I'd managed so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she was so filthy and wonderful and she's so talented so we, it was a really fun experience. But what about when those days... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. when you turn up and maybe you, yeah, can, uh, you can sort of feel maybe it's not... Well, I, I can tell you uh, the worst experience I've ever had with anybody yeah. was <laughs> a film I wrote. <laughs> a film I wrote, and uh, I've actually said this publicly before, so I'm not telling tales out of school. <laughs> um, a film I wrote called A Different Loyalty, which was about Kim Philby and his defection Uh, But it was a a romantic drama in the sense it was about him and his wife, American wife. And he defected from Beirut to go to Moscow. And uh, it's really about a woman who decides to follow the man she loves despite the fact that he's done this awful thing. And it's what what limits will love take you to and how destructive it can be. And um, it it, it was quite about... uh, I was quite proud of the script. It was quite high-end. The dialogue was, was... needed someone to really do that looking back it was crappy dialogue some of it but we had you know a decent looking cast we shot it in Canada and Africa and whatever. And we had Rupert Everett playing sort of a grown up version of the role he played in another country mm-hmm. uh, as Philby and um, 
Sharon Stone playing the wife. Wow. So and it, we needed a budget probably of about 25 million. We had, I think, half that. Right. So it was always going to be a struggle. And uh, um, Rupert, who has a reputation of being kind of pricky yeah. and uh, a little difficult, yeah. uh, was like um, St. Peter compared to <coughs> someone else. Right. <laughs> um, he was lovely. Yeah. And the other person and I just didn't see eye to eye from yeah. day one. Yeah. And something happened. Uh, I don't know if I can go into the story now, but there was kind of a, we, we had a meeting in a hotel room where I'd been up for 20 something hours and I arrived to just meet them and get notes. And she said something so banal and so stupid. And Rupert Everett and I made eye contact. It was another situation. Yeah. And I quickly looked away but I couldn't, <laughs> she saw me smirking and he managed to avoid being seen. And uh, she then pretended she didn't know me the next day. She said, uh, I'm introduced herself again. And I literally spent most of that shoot trying to avoid that person. Wow. Uh, who was, I can't swear on this one. Right yeah, yeah, go for it. She did things that I've never seen anyone do. I, and um, I, I said to Billy Connolly, who had done a film with the same person, who I've already mentioned, but I'm not directly mentioned, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is also Just obtuse. Notes for the edits. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, how did you, on a scale of one to ten, how much of a <laughs> is so and so? And without a beat, he went, it's 11, isn't it? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's notorious. So I felt a bit better. That was a terrible Billy Con. And then she said, oh, yes, it's like that. Was right. the generic she was terrible. Oh, yeah. It's more like that. Yeah. Um, but how do you, if that's like day one, how do you then kind of work through that? I've, I've still I, got to do this job. I ended up. Because well, well, I was. The shoot? I mean, it was. Oh, oh God, it was there for two months at least yeah, it was in, in Montreal. I, I ended up, because oh, I was a producer on it as well. I ended up saying, I want to go out and do all the location scouting, advanced location scouting. So I, I got off the set as much as I could. But I came back one day and this Canadian actress was playing an English part and I was also in it too, as an actor in it and a producer as well. And she came up and said, um, how do you say this word in English? I want to get the pronunciation right in English. Yeah. And, and I said, oh, it's this, because she was pronouncing it slightly wrong. And, uh, and I'm going to say her name, overheard, and she, she screamed to the director, I'm not having the writer giving actors notes on this set. Wow. That was, that was it. Wow. Another day she... But no justification. No, no, she, it was this person come up to me and asked me how to pronounce yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, normally writers don't give actors notes, you know, but I, I also happen to be a producer, yeah. but it doesn't matter. I wasn't even giving notes. I was just mm. saying, say, pronounce it. Yeah. And I'd been asked. So it was stuff like that that was being pulled. And another time she f kept forgetting her lines and uh, she turned to one of the extras and said, um, you can't, you can't do, keep doing that. And he's like, what? He said, you're making a face and it's, it's distracting me. And the guy's just sitting there, you know, and, and they said, get him out. And there was all that stuff yeah. going on. When you've been on film sets like that though, yeah. does it make you then, when you're having a hard day on set, does it make you think back and think, even if I'm having a hard day, I can't, I don't want to be like that. I can't, you know what I mean? I mean, that's the extreme, obviously extreme version, but. Yeah, well, I think we've all had tantrum moments. Uh, I say we all, including everybody, including you two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, we've all had tense moments, especially as an actor when you, you it's, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta try and behave. You gotta try and behave, you know, cause it's, once it happens, it happened once in a film I was doing in, in Spain, the director was was a nice guy, but he he screamed and at the DP and and was really demeaning. And the lead actor, God bless him, said, "I'm not continuing until you apologise." And, yeah. and, and so and we just sat there together, he and I, and we waited. And he had his tantrum, and then he went back and publicly called the whole crew together and said, "I apologise. I was out of order, and uh, you know, I'm sorry about that." And I thought, what well, I said to the actor, uh, that's great. You know, I, I really, that's stand-up behavior. He shouldn't have done it, but he, he owned it. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but it happens every other day. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Well, I think these things have become more public recently. I mean, obviously, Christian Barrett a few yeah. years ago had a big yes, that DP on, yeah. on Terminator, on the Terminator Salvation. And so, and these things, obviously, with with the climate right now, they go they go viral, and you know, everyone thinks you know that Christian Bale's a massive diva. I mean, he, obviously, he was maybe having just having a bad day that day. It's terribly stressful. Yeah. You're working really long hours. If you're carrying a movie or a TV show, I mean, I've been lucky in the sense that I've almost always been supporting, and I've never uh, occasionally I've had you know parts that are in that category but they're just so grateful to be doing something like that and make sure I'm uh, behaving well but yeah it's it's um I think what sometimes drives me mad is if people are really inefficient and and I start to get testy if I'm called to the set five hours earlier than I need to be because they're just lazy and they they can't figure it out um or or they you know they bring you and they say uh the the food trucks around there um you know can i get you anything oh yeah it'd be lovely thanks oh uh, you know what i think i've got to go somewhere so you better get yourself okay <laughs> yeah. fine no problem yeah. and then you go around the corner and it's not they, they're closing up and you're going okay just get, one yeah. way or another just get your act together yeah. um do you think that's because because you produce yeah but you know, it is partly yeah, that yeah yeah so that means that you're kind of a bit more like oh this should be doing this <laughs> this isn't being done properly yeah yeah and di- yeah. lighting setups yeah. drive everyone crazy directors and, and if, if there's a dp that spends for hour ever trying to get the lighting that can drive everyone nuts yeah. but i think you've got to got to realize it's not it's not brain surgery you're not saving the world there's no excuse to really launch off on people and as you know as in real life when you do it's usually it's about you yeah yeah it has nothing to do with them and and it's you have to figure out why you're cranky and mm. what's is there a, a smart solution that doesn't involve screaming at people and humiliating people and ruining everyone's day i think that's nice of that director apologized like it takes yeah, it yeah. takes balls to do that. Well, to do it publicly too, yeah, yeah. and calling everyone together. Yeah. But you know, the, 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 then the, the punchline was, yeah, he does this almost every other day. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about your work with Christopher Guest and that yeah. that trip of people because it's it's almost like a theatre group, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. sort of film repertory company that yeah. meets every five six years. <laughs> how did it? I mean, how did you first get involved with Christopher? And um, you know, and what is it also? Well, I'd have it to that. What's what, that improvisational? Yeah, I'd met Chris socially a couple of times. I knew Eugene Levy socially and Catherine O'Hara very well socially, and um, so I'd sort of met him maybe a couple of times. And um, it came about because um, this is you know this isn't connected to your blank, but it is about when things are not happening, mm. how you can take actions that will lead to other things. And, and it, it sounds like I was kissing ass, but I wasn't. Eugene had just done American Pie, yeah. which I saw. And I, I hadn't spoken to Eugene for a while. Um, I'd seen him up in Toronto when I was shooting something, and, and uh, I knew him you know, reasonably well, not super close. But I thought he was so good in it. Oh, he's brilliant in that. I actually... Yeah. He kind of steals that, don't I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And I think I called him, because it was probably even pre-email days, or if it was, I... Well, I hadn't got that far. <laughs> I either called him or emailed him and said, I just saw that and I thought you were really fucking great. And um, and I think that I, I'm a believer in being generous that way and more so as I get older, mm. is that if I see talent and I do it with people I don't know, I, I will contact them and say, I just want you to know that was the best performance I've seen on television this year or whatever. And I, I'm a great believer in that, especially with younger <laughs> actors but anyway I did it with Eugene because I liked it and um, he's thanks very much and then about two or three months later they were looking best in show they were trying to cast it and they knew that Fred was going to play the mad kind of TV commentator and nobody else wanted to do it the straight man because it's like well we'll just be wallpaper with Fred fucking Willard so um, they were saying um, you know know, who, who can we get who's a proper actor as opposed to a comedian to, to try because you can't fight that you got to yeah. and and Eugene said well it'd be kind of funny if he was English and I know this you know, Jim Piddock and Chris I think so I'd met him once or twice and so they said well why don't we have him come in so so they called me in to meet uh, at Castle Rock and um, they explained what it was the film and, and what the part would be and it was the most uncomfortable meeting I've ever had <laughs> because they're both uh, socially 
um, special, should we say. They're both, <laughs> I'm, I'm, even though I've been talking nonstop for almost an hour, I, I am sort of on the introvert side, as most performers are, or a lot. And so I walk into this office, and Chris is awful. I mean, literally, he will make no, he'll just look at you and do nothing. And he, 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 he'll face you down, no shame. Yeah. And if he has nothing to say, he won't say it. And everyone says they're so uncomfortable. With is, that, is, that, is that a test of some sort? It's, I don't know. I've, no, I mean, I've worked with him very closely and know him pretty well. And then Eugene is a minor version of that, but he's pretty much just... And so we sat there, and after the first couple of hellos, and this is what the film's about, I was just babbling. Yeah. Babbling. Yeah. I mean, incoherent, just babbling. Not, <laughs> at least today I've been semi-coherent. It's been good, yeah. But, and I, I, I after about five minutes, I went, look, guys, uh, I, I'm going to leave you a tape, a DVD, or it's probably a yeah. videotape, and if you like what you see... I'd, I'd love to do this. It'd be great fun. I've got this other commitment in England. I was doing a series for the BBC, which I'd written and was producing. And it might be an issue, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I left. You know, I just thought, well, this is stupid, me just talking and yeah. bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> and they were great. Well, thanks very much. It was lovely to meet you. And then I'm, dr I'm driving home and the phone rings and, uh, yeah, hi. Uh, yes, this is uh, Christopher Guest. Yeah. Um, would you would you, uh, would, you, would you like to be in the movie? <laughs> yeah, yes, it would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah sure. Good, well, thank you. <laughs> and that was it. And, and as it happened, I had to fly back from London to shoot Best in Show in three days. Wow. They allotted for it. Um, and because I, I did the table read of the sitcom I was doing with Hugh Bonneville and Mark Addy, and uh, gave notes on that, and then got on a plane on the Tuesday, the Monday, and then got to Toronto. And then we were due to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was supposed to come back Friday for the taping for Saturday. Wow. And then we got to Tuesday, and our Tuesday wardrobe fitting, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then fly back Saturday. And then um, they were running behind, so two days went by, and I said, Chris, I've actually got to go yeah. if we don't shoot this tomorrow, because I have to be there for the taping of the show in London. And they said, okay, yeah, I think we can do this in one day. So we shot all our stuff in one day. Wow. Wow. And I'm not sure that there's ever been so much film, because probably we're in that, Fred and I, for 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that that much film has ever been shot in such a short space of time. Wow. Yeah, because it's quite a big chunk of this film. Now. Yeah, it's that probably the last 20, yeah, 25 yeah. minutes, isn't yeah. it? So we did but, it yeah, with... But one of my favourite bits of the film. Safe, Thank right? you. Yeah, yeah no, it's still, it know, still works. Because you're playing it fairly straight. Yeah, I was stunned. Yeah. I was yeah. jet lagged and <laughs> in shock. And did you have to do much research? I did. Obviously that was where yeah. I really did the hard work. I had a book called the Amer American Kennel Club, something or other. Sounds it's like, like a, a great read. Yeah, thick, <laughs> it's a thick book. It's probably seven, eight hundred pages. Size. And I forced myself to read it every night before going to bed while I was doing the sitcom here. Yeah, it was so turgid, so boring. <laughs> But I just memorized a lot of trivia about dogs. Yeah. And, and when you read the American Kennel Club rules, it's so fascistic, it's awful. It's just, mm. well, if the dog has this bone wrong, then they're not pure. And yeah, it's just God. the master race of dogs. <laughs> so I became kind of a, a dog Nazi. And then <laughs> I went that over. That comes across, actually. It, it does. <laughs> and, and, and then they wouldn't, I met, the night before we shot, they said, uh, I went through the restaurant in the hotel, and Chris and Eugene and, and uh, Fred were having dinner, you know, and I joined them, and then they said, oh, we'd like you to leave now, because Fred wants to tell us what he's going to do, <laughs> yeah. and we don't want you to know. Of course. Yeah. So I left, and then um, a lot of those reactions were genuine. And at one point you can see I'm almost laughing, which because, is yeah, which is kind of legit. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah. You know, you'd have a guy trying to keep it together. Yeah. So it worked quite well. It was a real uh, turning point as an actor for me because I, when I saw that film, I went, less is more. Yeah. You know, because I was so new to improvisation, I'd, I'd only done sort of silly sketch improvisation, uh, not very much of that, where it's kind of very broad. So I, I kind of liked how real it was. Mm. And um, 
and it worked very well I thought with him being so kind of bull in a china shop yeah, yeah. and my favourite thing that I did in that was not even anything I said was when he said something the, the 19th ridiculous thing he said and I'd run out of anything way to respond and I just sort of looked blank for a minute and just turned and looked at him <laughs> and, and I, I literally had words failed me and I looked at that and went that is probably the best thing you've ever done on film and it may to this day be because wow. it was so genuine and so real and it said so much without saying anything it just said this guy doesn't know what the fuck to do <laughs> he's in real trouble yeah. and I thought it was really funny and I, and I was like oh that, that's now where I want to take my acting style is be less because I was definitely a pratfall and fart joke well still am a fart joke but <laughs> And I liked that you can do a little, and so I, my comedy's become much drier, much more deadpan, um, and that's Christopher's style mm. too. I mean, unfortunately now it's so deadpan. A lot of people in America are like, "Oh, oh, you were joking!" <laughs> that was oh, a joke. Yeah. yeah. And even here, I've got that people who are like, I said to, I said to a guy, the guy was um, fixing the walls down in the hallway, yeah. damp proofing. And he said, I've got to go now because um, I've just touched it. I've just touched it and it's still soft. <laughs> and I said, yeah, me too, I have. And he said, I know the, it's tough, isn't it? When it's, it's probably, for my case, it's my age. And he looked at me so blankly. And I, I had said it so straight, you know. I think my delivery there was like winking at you so you knew. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and he looked at me totally blank. So either he was the stupidest plaster and western hemisphere or I just have got too dry for my own good <laughs> but I guess that's an important point about comedy and, and I guess acting style as well you, you can develop over time you can change oh absolutely and you can see it in fact most major artists music uh, painters performers you see it yeah you see it I mean Robin Williams totally changed his he, he learned how to be small and, hmm. uh, and music I mean look at evolution of bands like The Clash or whatever I mean just literally yeah. crossing every boundary yeah. I like that I, mean, I think it's fun to see yeah. and then other people want to work within a narrow thing and the audience want them to yeah and if anyone you know you're talking earlier about you, you like to be honest with younger actors or at least you know when they've done well and stuff yeah because coming from someone like you that's going to mean a lot, a lot to them when, when you're giving them praise or saying this is good and stuff, do you, do you see yourself as kind of a responsible role to do that sometimes? I think it's really important. You know, there were a couple of people who did it for me when I was young, and I've never forgotten it. And, um, who were they? Can you say that? There, there was a writer, I, my first pilot, uh, there was a writer and a director who were both very helpful. And they, they both died within two or three years of that. And I, I'm very grateful that I took time out a year later to call them and say what you did meant a lot to me yeah. and it's changed my life in a certain way and I'm very grateful that I got that chance to do it especially the, the writer he, he written this thing and, and, and he I said I'm interested in writing and, and he said I'll come over and I'll chat and he spent an hour or so with me and told me about the process of more the business side of it and, and just encouraging and I think it's so so important to do that and it doesn't cost anything yeah 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 well, we all have an owners, don't we, in our own fields, I think. You use the, as an author as well. Yeah. That if people do ask for advice, it, 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 right, it, doesn't, it really doesn't cost much, and you could have a lifelong, lasting impact. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I try all the time if people write to me. You know, they've taken the time to write to me. Yeah. And ask yeah. yeah, it seems, you know, just common courtesy. To them. Yeah, exactly. the, the flip side is, I have a problem if someone, I, I will, someone sends me something script or whatever and I, I say I will give you an honest response yeah and and sometimes it's friends sometimes it's people I don't know and I will give them an honest response I will be kind with the way I do it mm. yeah and I won't say you should not do this for a living yeah. even though I've maybe felt it I've sort of said you this re really needs a major rewrite because it doesn't work because a b c d e yeah and they don't want to hear that but don't bring it to me otherwise but then there are people who either they bring me stuff unsolicited or I see their work yeah. and I'll make a point of going backstage afterwards or whatever and saying that was absolutely terrific and, and again as an actor when I was in the theatre so many people did it you know and big big names would come and do it and I was always like wow that really helps yeah. Mickey Rooney bouncing back wow. I never forget wow. 
saying, hi, I'm Mickey. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just thought you were wonderful. And, and then he's bouncing off. And, yeah. Yeah. There's loads of people. I mean, it's endless, the list of people that have done that. And you've got you to pay that forward. you yeah. got to. But as, as people working in the creative industry, confidence is such a big thing. Ah, oh, God, it's 90% of it. Yeah. yeah. And getting advice from someone like that can just boost your confidence massively. Yeah. And then your work improves off the back of it. And it's exactly. as simple as a nice comment. It is, it is. And then there are people you see who are ridiculously confident and yeah. absolutely crap. <laughs> yeah. And you just, it bugs the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, oh, fuck it now. So many talented people and you are working <laughs> but, non-stop. But the, the, that, you could translate that on yourself and be like, okay, well, I'm actually quite good. So actually, if someone like that can be confident, yeah, then I can, I can just be, try and be a bit more confident myself and I can get further than I am. It's, it's hard though. Confidence is... It's 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 uh, hard work is easy to define. We all know how to you know working smart is different. You can't just be hard work, but confidence is really it's like timing. It's some people are born with it, and you can acquire it probably easier than comic timing. Yeah. But confidence is 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 earned. You, it's very difficult, and you see some people. I remember seeing Matthew Broderick as a young actor. He was probably barely 20 and you go he's got the confidence of a 60 year old actor wow. you know he's got the chops and you see it you know all the time with kid actors and mm. just go wow I guess they kind of feel it as well at that. sometimes you know I mean I wasn't I was just a nervous wreck <laughs> I could barely speak without kind of you know trembling mm. at that age so I don't know how, you know mm. Some people it's natural, and yeah. some people achieve it. But when you're in that industry, your industry, and, and, and other creative industries, and we're talking about blank on this pod, obviously that's the yeah. theme of the pod, when you don't have confidence, how do you, is it a case of faking it till you make it? You know what? Sometimes you have to fake it, yeah. I mean, there's so many actors you hear say, you know, I, I've been faking it my whole career, I'm, somebody's going to find out someday, yeah. but they haven't yeah. yet. You know, but that's an old line, and as an actor particularly you can use it because you are always faking it as a job um, yeah I think so I, I, I think it is uh, um, I, I remember th- saying to someone how terrified I was and they said God you look because on stage with you or when I'm in the scene they said you seem like you're so grounded and I, I feel confident because you seem so and, and I'm, I'm like literally you know about to shit myself so how do you do? How do you do that? I think that is acting. It's just acting. Mm. It's faking it. Faking it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I guess to wrap up the pod then, and keeping on the blank theme, what advice would you give to anyone listening? And we hope we've got people listening who are creatives and, and do creative stuff, be it acting or writing or comedy or whatever. When they're having blank moments, and I guess that can be any blank moment, yeah. from a lack of confidence or, or yeah. blank page, whatever. What? what or lack of work. Give? Yeah. Or lack of work. Yeah. Exactly. What, yeah. I mean, I've what, had plenty of those blank moments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What advice would you would you give to them? Well, I think you have to you have to have a kind of temperament that is sensitive enough to to be an artist or a creator. Mm. But you also have to have a thick skin. Yeah. Um, someone told me early on, never take it personally. Yeah. Not getting a job, an audition, having a script turned down. Um, it's never personal. So I would pass that advice on. However, I would also add as a caveat, I still fucking take it personally. (laughs) Every job I don't get, every script that I never get a return call on, everything that gets passed on because we love the writing, but it's just not what we're doing right now. I still, part of me takes it personally. But enough of me doesn't to have continued to be doing this for 40 years. So I would say, try and keep level headed about it um, when I was for a very brief while when I first went to America when I was working at that drama studio uh, I, I had and the students loved it what I called the fuck it theory which I came up with when I was 24 is that it gets so pressurized you know the learning and the rehearsals and this and then you can't carry all that into a performance so right before you go on you just go fuck it who yeah. cares we'll all be yeah. dead in yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. sort of 80 in my case a lot less than 80 <laughs> years um, so you've got to have that kind of ability to throw it all yeah. but but yeah I mean the usual cliches hard work is yeah. a big part of it confidence is a massive part of it yeah. 
the talent, as you know, as we all know, is probably two, two to five percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, Kim Piddock, thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Thank you. There you go. What a pod that was, Giles. That was oh wow, man, yeah. such good stories in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jim's great with his all the anecdotes that he told us about various things. But yeah, I mean, just the great insights as well into his, you know, because he does all these different things. Yeah, you know, he's like I said, he's a writer and he's wears all these different hats. Yeah, and um, producing and acting and knowing which one he's wearing on a particular day and yeah, and I guess using that as a way of filling in the blanks. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I found it his journey into it was really interesting just going to america and just doing his thing yeah such a young age it's I mean, so it's bold so brave yeah, yeah. and it and it worked out but doing anything like that but yeah, yeah i thought that was fascinating and um i think we can all be a bit bolder sometimes can't we absolutely and well. we know that was a, some crazy stories as well um, yeah and obviously some fruity language as you might have heard so apologies to anyone who might have taken offense at some of the language in this pod uh, well that is life, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But it was great that Jim was so candid about those things. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's what we want people to be honest. And everyone has um, so far. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's hopefully what's making the yeah. pod in, as enjoyable for listeners as it is for us Absolutely. to be a part of. So massive thanks to Jim. Absolute top man. And a Palace fan to boot as oh, well, which well, always double, makes double someone points. a legend in our eyes. Um, so if you enjoyed the pod, uh, please let us know. Get in contact on social media. Even if you think there's things we can improve on, please get in contact with us. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is... At Blank Pod. Correct. And um, you can email us as well if you fancy a bit of a longer chat. Or you want to let us know people you want to hear from in the future. Or tell us your own blank moments and how you deal with those. Our email is... Hello at theblankpodcast.com. Oh, very nice. Come back to the radio voice yeah. there. That was lovely. Um, so that's it. We'll be with you again next Wednesday with another guest. Thanks again to Jim Piddock for joining us. And thank you, Giles. Well, thank you, Jim. Well, no, thank, no, thank you for no, joining you. No, no, thank no, you. Thank for, you. No, no, thank you for joining me this week because oh. I'm normally joining you. So you, are. you can well, join. We join me. each other. Yeah, good stuff. Can join. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Media Podcast.